Hello and welcome to the Odds Checker betting show. This is the first Royal Ascot preview, but we'll be previewing day one, the Tuesday of Royal Ascot. And this podcast video is sponsored by Skybet. I'm your host, George Ellick, and I'm joined by two expert guests. It is Odds Checkers, Andy Holding and superb tip- tipster Rory Delaghi joining me today. Two very popular guests and great to have you both here with us today. Rory, we'll come to you first. We've heard of what Andy thinks plenty of times at Royal Ascot over the last couple of years, but how do you view this this festival you know the biggest festival flat racing festival of the season how do you see it from a punting perspective there are plenty of opportunities and there are plenty of very competitive races at Ascot but it's a track that you can um, come unstuck at um, very quickly especially if you're relying on form at other tracks if you're if you're for example um, looking at horses who come from Epsom to Ascot and you're expecting the, the Epsom form to hold up um, it rarely does but once you get once you get the hang of Ascot you get an idea of what kind of horses thrive there what sort of horses you're looking for and what positives you normally look for at other tracks that aren't necessarily in your favourite basket. Um, often when you're punting, you're looking at higher races developing early. Look who's going to get good track position um, at certain. We had Sandown today, for example. You know, it's, It always helps to be out there handy and, and uh, close to the rail when the going's quick. If it's soft there, it's a different kettle of fish. Um, whereas at Ascot, early track position is much less important. Um, and horses who want to get on with it and, and um, uh, steal an advantage are rarely the horses you're looking for uh, at Ascot. Um, you're, um, you're more forgiving of horses who can be slowly away, horses who can race lazily, but fundamentally you're looking for horses who finish off strongly. And when you're betting at Ascot, that's very important. Yeah, Andy, anything to add to that? No, I think um, Rory's covered most of the things that I would have reiterated or you know um, been strong on. I'm mainly looking at horses that co- are coming off the speed. Um, it's a track that usually eats front runners alive, particularly on the straight track. You can get away with over five furlongs if you've got a really pacey type, such as Patash. There's not so much emphasis on um, you know being held up and coming off the speed there, but largely speaking, you want to hold up horses that are put to sleep and ridden to come through from the two furlong pole onwards. The round track's the same. You very rarely get horses that make all the running on the round track. You know, you see some of these two-year-olds that win in fast times, and they go, but they've done it from the front, blasting off and, you know, winning on flat, easy tracks like York and Newbury and places like that. But, you know, you come here and they get found out. So I'm trying to put together a team of horses that have run fast time figures, but they've done it being very strong in the latter end of their races and they've come through at the end. And again, looking for track form where possible. If they've got previous course form, great. If they've got previous course and distance form at the Royal Meeting, even better. We'll touch upon one or two that do thrive here in this environment. It's an intriguing week. One of my favourite betting weeks of the year. Lots of special bookie offers. Let's Mm. um, get it on. Yeah, we're going to get into one of those bookie offers shortly from the sponsors of this show, Skybet. But we're recording this just so people know on Friday afternoon. So it's just past quarter past four here on the 11th of June. So we've got the whole weekend to come and that means we don't have the final decks through yet. So these races are going to cut up a fair bit. If you're listening to this, on the eve of the first day of Royal Ascot, do bear with us because, of course, the, the markets may look a little bit different to you as they do to us. Well, they will look very different to you to have a look now, but hopefully the insight from both Andy and Rory uh, will mean it's still very much worth a listen. We're going to go through the seven races on the day's card um, from, from first to last. So stick around for that. Before we get into it, just going to point the listeners and viewers in the direction of the Odds Checker app. Do download it now for the best bookie offers, free bets, the best tipsters, including Andy himself, whose column is up there every day. And of course, all the best prices we'll be talking about 
today will be the ones from the app that you'll find there. And our sponsors for this podcast and video, Skybet, have a cracking offer for the first race of the day that we're about to preview. And it is money back as cash on the first race of Royal Ascot. So your first win bet only will go forward for this, just for the win singles or the win part of each way singles back uh, as cash. Free bets and cashed out bets are excluded. Uh, there are eligibility restrictions that apply further in the T's and C's, uh, 18 plus only. And you can find all info at begambleaware.org. But this is a cracking offer, one that any... Um, any who, people who've bet the sky bet for, for the Cheltenham Festival will remember uh, always a good way to get the week off uh, with a start. That is Skybet's offer for the first race of the day. And the first is, of course, it is the Queen Anne, which is at 2.30 uh, on Tuesday. And we've got Palace Pier, the very short price favourite at 4-9. to nine. Uh, Order of Australia, 6-1. to one. Lope Fernandez is 10-1. to Tilslit is 16-1. to one. Top rank, 20-1. to one. Prince SG is uh, 25 to 1, uh, 25 to 1 Lord Glitters as well, and Royal Regal Reality. And it will come to you first here, Palace Pier, top of the market, 4 to 9. Unsurprisingly, can we find any uh, ways to get against Palace Pier or any others at bigger prices appealing to you for a nice little each way stab? Because looking at it now, you know you're, you're getting profit for a place with it being 6 to 1, the second favourite. Yeah, I think um, most uh, punters and bookmakers alike will be thoroughly expecting Palace Pier to win this. It's very hard to oppose him. He was imperious, wasn't he, at Newbury? He has been throughout his career other than one below par run, but that was due to heavy ground. Uh, he won here last year, albeit on the round track. Uh, you could come to some kind of a conclusion or there's a school of thought to think that the straight track is a different kettle of fish and... and He's yet to be proven over it to to a, to a degree, but given the time figure, the way he went through his newbie race, it's just hard to see him not winning this. The only the only way I could see him coming unstuck, and, and Rory will probably um, have a view on this as well, is is if there's no pace here, and there doesn't appear mm. to be a, a whole gluttony of um, obvious front runners. There could be a, some kind of hatchet job or a, a plan by Aidan O'Brien and the, and the, and the Ballydoll team like there was last year which allowed their horse Circus Maximus to win it was a rather odd run odd run race last year so maybe with Order Australia and, and Lopi Fernandez in here there could be a bit of team tactics but I can't see an absolute guaranteed front runner here unless I've, I've completely missed something something's going to have to go on but I'm not sure what it is and it might be a bit of a messy heat that's the only way I could see Palace Pier coming and stuck but Frankie will probably still overcome that you know settle off and he'll still <laughs> Quicken by everything. I tend to approach this race and just completely avoid the favourite, accepting he's going to win. I'm, I'm probably not going to play this until the, the Monday when the, when the without the favourite markets open up. Uh, and I'm looking for horses that are almost going to be ridden to come through. Won't have anything to do with the early speed, but you know, are looking to nick third or fourth as, as their main target, if you like. And if they can get any better than that, all well and good. And I think Sir Busker definitely fits that category. He's not the class of at Palace Bay or one or two others in this race like Order of Australia and and Lampe Fernandez are proven at group one level but the one thing he has got in his favour is he does love this track as we saw here at the Merle meeting last year he's very effective he ran here early in the season as well and I thought he was a bit unlucky he actually hit the front a little bit too soon for his liking and he looked as though he needed the run the, the French race of the day was a bit of a mess it was on soft ground French racing doesn't tend to suit a horse like this round a bend you know they're quicken in the home straight and he, he was he was never a fully effective, albeit he didn't run too badly to finish fourth. But um, given a, a you know a, a fairly well run race, and 
likely to be ridden cheerily by Oshie Murphy at the back of the field. You know, you can see this fellow who does travel well, picking them off one by one by one and, and coming through. And, and I think, it, like I say, I think a lot of horses will probably be ridden more prominently with better chances on form, but they might not necessarily have the run style that Sabuska has got. And he's, he's at the moment 33 to 1. I'd imagine if all 12 run, which it looks likely, some firms will bet four places on the day. If you can get 25 to 1, four places, great. Without the favourite market, I'd probably predict he'd be 10 or 12 to 1, maybe without. But that's the one I'd be looking at, um, uh, Sabuska, in, in, in the exotic markets. Sabuska, 33 to 1. I think, do you think we'll get four places with a 4 to 9 favourite? I mean, I hope Guaranteed. so. Yeah. Well, Sabuska, 33 to 1 at the moment. Will. So somebody will. It's the first race of the meeting. Traditionally, the first race of the, of the meeting at the Channel Festival. Some firms offer ridiculous offers, mm. uh, but I think they want to get your money in here. You want to get your business, and I'd be I'd be shocked if somebody doesn't go four places. Yeah, Sabasco thirty three to one as it stands. That is standout with William Hill twenty five to one, probably market price. Uh, Rory, over to you here. We have got one at a bigger price from Andy, although he does seem to think that Palace Pier justifies the you know the short price in the market. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about that. He was arguably a little disappointing. I'm at Ascot last October in soft ground, but he had excuses that day and he's come back to prove himself. Um, people were asking before Newbury whether he would be really at home on the very bad ground there um, and he had no issues at all. Ironically, I think people will now start asking the question, how is he going to be on, on quickish ground? But I, I don't think there are really any holes in him. But they are, they're not machines, of course, and... Um, it's always possible for one to um, to disappoint in a race like this. I don't really see that happening, but there is there's good each way value in the race, and with Skybet's offer, you can afford to have an each way bet in the first race, uh, knowing that you'll be getting the um, uh, the win part of that back um, with their offer for small stakes. Obviously, mm. I take Andy's point about the potential lack of pace. I thought the two who'd have to be handy would be Pogo, um, who normally goes forward in his races. He's a bit outclassed here. Um, but I think he'll, he'll want his moment of glory by going on. And Order of Australia, I, I don't think it benefits um, Bally Doyle at all to have him held up. Um, he was running over further last year uh, and he ran by far his best race when um, ridden aggressively in the British Cup mile. So he didn't get to the front there, but he was drawn widest of all and he was very handy all the way. So I think they have to ride him aggressively if, if they're going to get the best out of him. Uh, the horse I want to be with here, I think, is, is a cracking each way bet at 20 to 1. Um, I don't think that will last as only there in one or two places, his top rank uh, for James Tate. Now, he was third in the lockinge. He travelled really well that day and didn't quite get home, um, but I thought he still ran a really good race. He's a horse I liked a lot last season, a late developer. Uh, he came through handicaps, but he's a big, heavy-topped horse who you know has taken time to mature. I think he'll keep improving, um, which is a big positive here, because most of these have pretty much reached their limits um, already. I think top rank can do better. He impressed me when winning a good grind on his return at Doncaster. That was only a listed race, but he was given weight away because he won the um, the Superior Mile, the Group 3, last season on soft ground. Uh, he showed that he's at least as effective on good ground. And whatever the ground is for the meeting generally, I think it's going to be good for the first race. We're not expecting any real rain between now and, um, and the start of, of Ascot. Mm. But you can be sure the course will be well watered so it's, there's no jar in it for the opening day. And that means that if your one concern is rattling fast grind, I don't think it's going to be like that for the very first race of the meeting. So I think um, Top Rank wants, wants good grind. Um, he's going to get that on the opening day. I can't really see him beating Palace Pier, but I think he'd get a lot closer than he did uh, at Newbury, where I think the really soft grind and the fact that he was ridden reasonably prominently just stretched his stamina. Um, and I think he'd be happier on, on good grind at Ascot. So you know, I'd have him down as about the, the second or third best horse in the race. I think two or three of those are shorter in the betting. 
um, don't really deserve. I mean, uh, Lope Fernandez doesn't deserve to be anywhere near as short as he is, for example. Uh, he was well behind it at Newbury. So top rank, I think, should be about a 10 or 11 to 1 shot. And 16s is fair. If you can get any 20s, that's very good value. Yeah, that 20 to 1 is with the sponsor of this podcast, Skybet, and you have that offer as well. So if you're quick enough off the mark to snap that up, uh, top rank at 20 to 1, the one for Rory uh, and Sebastian at 33s. I mean, brilliant start to the podcast. If we can land one of those uh, in, in the opener, I think people, listeners and viewers of this will be uh, an absolute clover if we can manage to get the winner of the first up at a big price. Uh, but those are the two for the guys. Uh, on then to the second race of the day, which is the Coventry uh, and it is the Wesley Ward horse. Uh, Coffee Maker is the three to one favourite across the board. Maceto, six to one. Uh, Gisburn is seven to one. Cadamosto, uh, 17 to 2, Ebro River 9 to 1, The Acropolis 10 to 1, Debab 12 to 1, Tolstoy 16 to 1, Berkshire Shadow 20 to 1, uh, a few others in there at 20 to 1 as well. Expect this one to cut up, you know, unlike the first where I think 10 of the 12 horses uh, have been jocked up. Uh, the only two were the two Ballydoll horses that haven't been here. We can expect a fair few to come out. And Andy, your two year olds. Uh, Naus is is well regarded. Roy, not of course, not saying yours isn't. Um, but but Andy, you know you've you've got a reputation for getting the you you, you stop watch out for these guys and, and having a good idea of of who's done what. I'm guessing with with a bit of an unknown quantity at the top of the market, you probably see that as a bit of an opportunity to to find the best of the rest. Yeah, this really sets the tone for the week for me, really, because I, I do tend to concentrate. Uh, on the two-year-olds uh, as really strong betting mediums because the, the historic figures that we've got tend to work themselves out. There's very rarely horses that come here having done slow fits, running slow times. Something's either done a good time or debut or running a race whereby, you know, he's proven that he or she's proven uh, at, a, at a reasonably high level. So there is a bit of a watershed number that I tend to look at when I'm, when I'm coming to these uh, races. And I can, I can whittle or whittle it down to sort of three or four and then it all becomes about where they're drawn, where the pace is likely to be, what stables they're with, and what run style they've got. I don't really want to be on a front runner here. Nando Parada won a ridiculously slow, really run Coventry last year. He was the only one who booked the trend, but most of the winners of this race, all bar the odd one or two, tend to either miss it, come from behind. They're they're horses that race behind the bridle and they come through late. Uh, Roger Singh, for instance, 21 in 2017, he completely fluffed the start and um, it was, he was doing all his best work inside the last furlong, Buratino, um, the year before. That's the kind of horse you're looking at. You don't want anything really that uh, has anything to do with the, the early speed. I do think there's going to be plenty of pace on here in the Coventry, having seen these two-year-olds and almost like, watch the videos back until I'm blue in the face. There's at least five front runners I can see. Malfi Coast made all at uh, Cork. You've got uh, Gisborne, of course, was a very um, eye-catching winner at Newbury. He made all the running. Uh, go Bears Go, who won over this course over five furlongs. He made all for David Lockname. Acropolis made all the running the other day at Listol. And of course, we've got Wesley Ward's Cool Maker, who's very much the fly in the ointment, being a filly in this contest for, for the first time I can remember for a long time. I can't remember a filly running in this race, let alone one that's favourite. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched her videos back. She, you know, she's very good when she won on debut, making all the running, as Wesley's often do. And she was good in that Keeneland Breeze Up trial that Wesley, when Wesley ran all of his horses. Um, in two by two tandem in, in their respective trials prior to uh, prior to coming here, I think that was a t- couple of weeks ago, which are available to watch on YouTube. So it, it is a cracking race. But oh well, because I want to be on something that's going to be off the speed here and run a good figure. And the one that fits into the category this year is Debab, John Gosden's uh, winner first time out at Leicester. Mm. I was hugely taken by him. He 
looked, I won't say looked in trouble at halfway, but he was definitely just being, you know, getting after him. But all of a sudden, within the space of a, a furlong and a half, he went from sort of mid-division to, you know, popping his head in front. And the last furlong or so was really good. He clocked a very good overall, the fastest one we've got over six furlongs so far. Um, and he did it in the style of a very, very impressive Colt. Contrast to um, his time figure, uh, Jonathan Daisy Gosden's other horse, Tolstoy, won in a ridiculously slow time at, at um, Yarmouth. And Yarmouth, yeah. yeah. Frankie's, um, once they decided to run him, I don't know whether that's, you know, they've just stuck on their respective mount to the road on debut, but, you know, Rob, Rob Havlin keeps the rider on Dabab, which, I, which I, I think is the right choice. Or I think it was, I think it was Martin, Martin Harley, Harley rode Tolstoy first up. You, you possibly could, could be right. But so whether yeah. Frankie's had the choice and he decided to ride that one, I don't know, but I think he's made the wrong decision, certainly based on the times. Cadamost would be an interesting run. I'm not sure whether he runs here, runs over five furlongs. He won at Dundalk quite readily, but he's in the Windsor Castle and he's also uh, ended up in the, um, the the Norfolk as well. Uh, he'd be he'd be um, of some interest. And I thought Masato uh, ran really well in, in the Group Three at um, at the Curry. He didn't get the clearest of runs when uh, Castle Star got first run on him, and, and he was quite good at the finish. He also clocked a good number that day. But I like his run style. You know, he's, he's a horse that races behind the ball and comes through. So I've got a short list of two or three, but. The pecking order definitely is headed by Debab, uh, with um, favourable mention to uh, Masato. But I think that twelve to one for Debab is not a bad price. If he gets a good draw, of course. If he goes and gets stall one like uh, that horse that Martin Meads did uh, a few years back and finished on the wrong side of Calix, then uh, we're in trouble. But if he's, if he's in and around where all those front runners are, then I'd expect Debab to come through. Debab twelve to one, pretty much across the board, including Skybet. Rory, what, how do you see this Coventry? Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a massive fan of punting in the Coventry, mostly <clears throat> through a series of backing losers uh, and value <laughs> prices in the race uh, over the years. The market tends to be a very good guide. Uh, I tend not to want to buy horses at short prices unless I've seen enough of them to be sure of um, how I feel about them. And the Coventry is a race uh, which has been dominated by uh, once raced, um, highly regarded types. Um, so so they don't really. They don't fit into my methodology generally. I'll be reasonably circumspect about the race. I was impressed by Coffee Maker from what I've seen of her, particularly in that she's been she looks very relaxed. Um, obviously, she showed speed to win over four and a half on debut, and you'd normally ask questions about something like that lasting home over the stiff six at Ascot, but she didn't. Um, she didn't have to lead early there. She picked the the leader up before halfway in that race, and then was very strong to the finish. Um, but having watched her work as well, she she works behind stable companions um, and then comes past them. And she looks very, she looks big and strong and relaxed. And I think that's probably a, a big positive. I think it's also very interesting indeed that Wesley Ward runs her here. He's never run a filly in the Coventry before. He's gone on record as saying that he believes, I mean, he's done better with fillies here than he has with uh, with Colts down the years. Um, he says that at this time of the year, the fillies are ahead of the Colts. Um, and that's, you know, that's borne out by, by results. Um, and the, um, uh, sort of the median um, performance rating of of, um, of better class two-year-olds this time of the year. So he thinks it's worth throwing her in against the Colts in receipt of weight. Um, and I, I think that's a very interesting approach. Um, he knows the two-year-olds seem better than most. So I can see why she's been put in his favourite. And she might just be physically ahead of the others at this stage. Um, she Again, it's not very not easy looking at a video of, uh, of two horses working, but she looks, uh, she, she looks typically big and strong. Um, you know, the, the old adage about West Ward's two-year-olds at Ascot is they look like four-year-olds and she seems very much in that mould. I'd be wary of being against her 
Um, for all you know, you can argue that a filly in the Coventry is at a, at a big disadvantage. Well, no one, no one ever runs them in here. Uh, some people are, will argue that's because they, they would face a very tough task. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's true. I think a couple of a couple of the, the better Queen Mary winners would have had a decent chance in the uh, in the Coventry if they'd gone that way. So I, I very much respect her chance. I largely agree with what Andy said. I would I would respect Tolstoy though. Again, on the basis of, of times, you can't always tell how good uh, how good a horse is based on one run. Uh, where that race has been run in a slow time. And although Tolstoy did nothing on the clock, really, um, on his day, his, his speed figure is, is very moderate. That doesn't mean that he's not that good. It just means that the race didn't necessarily show him off to best effect. So I'm going to have a, a look back at Tolstoy. The fact that Frankie has, um, has apparently chosen him does seem very significant there. And he's got a, he's got a very, very good, good pedigree for this as well. So uh, I'd respect his chances at a at a decent price. Again, you know, it's, it's worth digging around and finding out that if there's another reason why Frankie Vittori is on board, uh, because as Andy said, the uh, uh, the stable companion has got has got better form on paper, but there might be a little bit more to come from Tolstoy, which is which is why Frankie's on board. I don't know whether Andrew Balding's planning to run Berkshire Shadow is another outsider who um, who won an, an ordinary enough time on debut, but unlike a lot of these, he needed the run um, at Newbury first time out over five furlongs, was slowly away, came from the back of the field, looked green enough. And Andrew Balding's a yard. I really like back in his runner's second time out. Uh, he's got a very, very good strike rate with his, with his runner's second time. Um, and they tend to pop up at big prices as well. It's one of those yards where I think with the new market yards where a two-year-old is working well at home, the market always, almost always tells you that. Um, whereas because Andrew Balding trains away from the big training centres on his own at Kingsclear, I just think that the Gallops watchers aren't there at Kingsclear and there don't tend to be reports about horses working well. Uh, which means that a lot of his, who, who clearly show plenty at home, uh, pop up either on debut or second time up at biggish prices. So I'll, I'll keep an eye on Berkshire Shadow as well, but I'll be um, careful uh, how much money I throw at the Coventry, given what's happened in the past. I was lucky enough to be at uh, Kingsclare recently for odds checker, and I can guarantee I didn't see anybody on the gallops with any binoculars having a look to see what was going on. But you can find that video, A Day in the Life of Andrew Balding, uh, up on the odds checker YouTube channel. And you know, you, you wondered there, Rory, if Bart Shadow will run. Well, Ashin Murphy is booked, which would suggest that he it is likely to. And you'd think that's probably quite a significant jockey booking, as well as Frankie Dottori on Tolstoy as well. Tolstoy is 16 to 1. And uh, Barsha Shadow is 20 to 1. Both those best prices there for the Coventry. Uh, Rory, we'll stick with you when we talk now about the King's Stand. And, you know, you mentioned that you don't like backing horses at short prices you don't know a fair bit about. Well, I think we all found out finally that Batash Cam would ask it last year um, at 15 to 8. He is to repeat the trick this time around. Winter Power is the next uh, in the market at 5 to 1. Oxted 13 to 2. Liberty Beach 8 to 1. Extravagant Kid 10 to 1, uh, K. Amoro 12 to 1, Maven 12 to 1, you better believe it, 14 to 1, 20 to 1 bar. And Rory, let's start with uh, with Batash, who we haven't seen uh, yet this season, but not too many question marks. Well, no question marks about his speed and ability. No, no, of course not. Um, there are one or two question marks about him coming into this race. He took a while to get, to get the breakthrough here at Ascot, despite the fact that he is um, an exceptional performer who's been you know, a stone better than his rivals at five furlongs for the last few seasons. Um, he doesn't always um, do it at Ascot, but he did last year. The two worries for me. One is, it's a slightly odd worry. It's the retirement of his long his longtime lad, Bob Grace, who, you know, the, a lot of people made, um, made quite a lot of currency out of the fact that um, the, the only person who could handle Batash was Bob. 
You know, he'd been he'd been the, you know at the yard for mm. for years and years and years, and he had a special rapport with this horse who was really highly strong, and no one else could could get him um, to settle. No one else could you know keep the horse on the straight and narrow. But Bob had a special bond with him. Well, Bob's retired now, so that's a bit of a worry. Um, I don't think Batash. I mean, he 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 was a little bit. Um, calmer last year um, than he had been before, I suppose. But I still think, you know, his 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 biggest strength is also his biggest weakness. It's the fact that he's so explosive. And I just wonder, you know, whether he's quite the same horse um, this year with a, with a slight change in regime. And he's reported to have had a, a setback uh, in the spring as well. So, you know, he's seven years old, had a setback. The routine has changed for him. I think if you're going to take him on at all, now is the time to take him on. And um, I suppose there's a vague chance that he might not turn up. You know, if you're if you're reading between the lines, um, this is the one race I'd want to bet on now, and I'd want to bet on Winter Par, who looks one of the bets of the day, um, possibly one of the bets of the meeting. She was very good last year, uh, but she's improved. Um, her her win on her reappearance at York was absolutely stunning. Um, you know, her best effort last year was her final start, and she came out and beat Atalas Bay. Um, at York uh, last time out. She won that by, I think, three lengths in the end. Could have been double that if Sylvester D'Souza had, had ridden her out to the line. And despite that, she still clocked a really good uh, time figure um, for the race. Now, Atalas Bay runs at Sandown tomorrow in the Scurry Stakes at Sandown, and I think he'll bolt up in that. I don't think that's much of a race. I think he'll win well. If he does win well, then Winter Power will, you know, that, that will obviously boost the, um, the form of the York race. And I think people will want to back her then. And then, you know, if the worst case scenario happens and Batash doesn't get declared, then you're going to see Winter Power as a seven to four favourite for this race. Mm. So I'd be really keen to back her each way now at five to one. I think that's a gift each way. Yeah, five to one, best price at the moment for Winter Power. An each way gift from Rory. Andy, a gift from Rory. You've got a gift for us as well. Yeah, Rory's got a really strong, um, positive view on, on Winter Power, which is what I like, or on this race in general, which unfortunately I haven't. We can't always be... Uh, seeing things uh, on, you know, from the same perspective on every particular race. It's just not a race I've got a real sort of deep feeling for, as it were, or, or an inclination to have a, a good crack at something at the moment. Interesting news what Roy's uh, put forward there uh, about Batash. Uh, be a shame if he doesn't run. If he doesn't run, and if he does, maybe he might not quite be the the horse that he was uh, last year. But if he is, then I think he'd probably win because there's nothing that can touch him really. Not only in this country but in, probably in world racing really have a five for as long as he's mm-hmm. just uh, mentally good isn't he I'd be a little bit more lukewarm than perhaps Roy would be about Winter Power just based on three year olds you've got to be a really good three year old I think Lady Aurelia won it a few years back which is obviously good because you know three year old filly you know that uh, goes without saying that that's um, it's got to be seen as some kind of positive but like I said I just don't like the front runner angle and I don't like York form to here and, and I She's never run at Ascot, which again is another little bit of a bugbear of mine. I don't like backing horses, generally speaking, are not proven over this straight track. So there's enough in there to put me off at four to one. I'd sooner go with the, the proven horse at the track, Liberty Beach, who finished third in the race last year. I think she's a better model than she was 12 months ago. She strengthened up. John Quinn has got an embarrassment of riches, hasn't he, in the sprinting department? You know, Liberty Beach, keep busy, El Astronauts. He's done really well with speedsters in the last four or five seasons which is a contrast to where he, where he made his living with uh, two mile juvenile hurdlers back in the day I do like and she she won on heavy ground first time out which wouldn't necessarily be an ideal first time up but she ground out a good victory uh, time figures are very good her uh, time figure when she was second to Lazuli last year at Sandown was exceptionally good um, but good ground you know he's, he's fine for her look can I say beating Patasha at his very best probably not you know she has a couple of lengths to find from last year but at eight to one 
on a horse who's proven at this meeting two years running. She was fought at Rappel's Prize the year before from a bad draw. I think she was the best of a low draw that day. I think she makes plenty of sense uh, as, as some kind of each one. And if you, if you if you had to press me for a, an opinion, she, she'd be she'd be the one I'd, I'd, I'd nominate as the most logical one to perhaps uh, uh, run her race. The Liberty Beach, there eight to one uh, best price at the moment. If you do want to back Batash, if if Rory and Andy's well, not, not negativity, but doubts maybe about certain parts of Batash's prep hasn't put you off. Skybet are standout best price at the moment at 15 to 8. But yeah, Rory certainly the one with the, with the stronger view there. Winter power each way for him at 5 to 1. Uh, on then to the James Palace stakes. Poetic Flair is the 7 to 2 favourite ahead of uh, Mostadaf with Highland Avenue. Sorry, Mostadaf is 4 to 1. Highland Avenue 6 to 1. Lucky Vega 7 to 1. Battleground 8 to 1. Chindit 8 to 1. When Wembley 12 to 1, 20 to 1 bar. Rory, we'll come back to you for this one here. Poetic Flair, winner of the Guineas over here, just touched off over in Ireland and comes into this one uh, as favourite. Yeah, and deservedly so, I think. Historically, the St. James's Palace is dominated by horses who've also dominated the Guineas. Um, and I think people maybe will look back to last year's result where um, Palace Pier came a different route uh, and be looking for something similar. But just looking at the overall prices for this, I thought um, those who were who were coming from um, listed company um, were very short. Uh, Mostadaf, for example, Mostadaf uh, ties in quite um, uh, quite closely with um, Bullis, who's in there as well. Horses who who came through the Heron Stakes. Now the Heron Stakes is just a it, it might be a better than average listed race, but it's only a listed race. And I much prefer to back horses who've proven themselves in Group One company here. And for Poetic Flair to be seven to two and, and um, uh, Mostadaf four to one, I, I definitely want to be with Poetic Flair. He's sorry, um, uh, Highland Avenue's third favourite also um, was was second in that um, that Heron Stakes at Sandown. I don't. Um, it's not that I don't rate the race. I, th- I thought it was a decent enough contest, but it was run on heavy ground. There was nothing between the first three, and nothing in that suggests to me that it's outstanding form. So I'd rather stick with the um, with the Guineas form of Poetic Flair. He was a tad below form in the French Guineas in between. Of course, he's, you know, he's taken three quick races before coming here. And that will put a few people off. But Royal Ass is kind of the end of the early season stuff uh, for these top class uh, three-year-old miners. And I think Jim, Jim Bolger is very much aware of that. Um, and he's keen to um, to press on while this horse has a physical advantage. I thought his French run was was fine in the end. He just, well, obviously the form has already worked out with the, the winner winning the, um, uh, the Peter Jockey Club since. But he just got outpaced mid-race in a race that wasn't run at a, at a really strong gallop. And he was keeping on really well late on. He'd have been, he'd have been second in another couple of strides um, in that uh, French race. Only finished sixth in the end. But he's, what, half a length, beaten half a length or so for second uh, behind the winner. And he bounced back to form when, when second on a um, on much softer ground at the Cura. I thought he ran an absolutely cracking race there. You can, you can knock that and say McSweeney didn't run brilliantly in the derby. But I thought, I thought McSweeney was a non-stayer. At Epson, to be perfectly honest, and also not particularly happy on the ground. Um, whereas we know that McSweeney is a bit of a monster on soft ground, um, and he got the run of things in the Irish Guineas. Poetic Flair has thrown down a really strong challenge, and probably would have won, I think, if he hadn't wanted off a straight line. Um, so he's a horse who's, who's, you know, to all intents and purposes, a should be a dual Guineas winner, and he's a little bit of a standout here. Now, if he, if he was a a six to four shot, I could walk away from the race, but he's seven to two in a race where horses who've only run at, li- at listed level are roughly the same price and I can't let that go. So he has to be the bet for me. Has to be the bet, poetic flair for Rory. Andy, do you agree? 
If it was anything other than Jim Bolger and the way he campaigns his horses, you'd say, wouldn't say you'd be a madman to back him again. But I mean, you know, this is his fifth run in the space of what less than two months, and he's got a constitution like a like an ox, isn't he? Really, I, I've, I've got a huge amount of respect for Paratic Flair because um, he just seems to be thriving on his racing. But I slightly take the opposite view to, to, to Rory again. It's just to make just how it's, okay. it's, it's, it's good to get both uh, both sides of it. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's 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 good. Um, I actually take the view with regards to a race like the Heron Stakes and look at the way that John Gosden operates. And I, and I think he's a little bit different to other trainers. When, when he's got a horse like this, he's, he's Mostadaf. He, you know, he's, he's not looking to run him in any guineas early on. He's bringing him along steadily with a view then to striking at Royal Ascot because this is a race that John's done really well in the past. Obviously, Kingman started him off several years ago. Then he won it with without parole, who took the Heron Stakes prior to coming here. Paris P, of course, took it last year. Again, another horse that was a little bit under the radar last year. He'd won two races, very impressive. But he did only win a, a Mickey Mouse race at Newcastle. So we're getting the flavour, the trend of what John Gosden tends to, to do and, 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 he's, and he's kind of like uh, approached to these kind of events. He doesn't overface them earlier on and he puts a gun to the head when he feels appropriate. And I've been hugely impressed with Mostadaf. His time figure at Kempton when he won that day was very good. El Drama was third, of course, went on to win at Chester. Well, I love the way he did it on ground. I didn't think he appreciated at Sandown. That wouldn't have necessarily suited him, a horse that's got a lovely flow in action. But um, he proved really strong that day. Um, he's, you know, he's, he's well-fancied stable companion. Mishriff was well-beaten in fifth. And he'd won well the time before at Newbury in a fast time. So he was beating the right horses. And he beat Highland Avenue, who clocked a good, good number when he, when he won the Field and Stakes. And I also think Highland Avenue is a, a, an interesting contender. Obviously, the Appleby team are in great form. But he too, similar to Mustadaf, wouldn't have enjoyed that ground as well as the sort of better surfaces that he's been running on, predominantly on the weather prior to that, but of course on, on fastest ground at Newmarket. So I think the ground riding on the quick side is going to suit these two horses uh, come next week. Their number at Sandow is good. They've, they're both going for me in a, in a forward trajectory. And, and if you're like, they haven't had as many battle hardened, you know, they haven't had their nose bloodied as many times as one or two in this race. Um, so yeah, I'd probably perm those two together and look look to pay maybe two against the third if the prices are a little bit more generous than what they are at, at the moment. I, I do take Rory's point of view. They probably are a little bit shorter than you would have liked. They're certainly not massive value, but I think there's a good chance that one of those two will win. Well, it depends which team you're on here. If you're in Andy's corner, it's uh, Mossadaf at four to one, Highland Avenue at six to one. If you're in Rory's corner, it's Poetic Flair at seven to two. I mean, the good thing is you've taken most of the market out there, so hopefully one of you is going to be giving, you know, every one of you will be right uh, come Tuesday afternoon uh, in this James Palace. Uh, we've got three more to get through. We've got the Ascot Stakes now, where Rayapur is the six to one favourite ahead of Saudia uh, at eight to one. Uh, MC Muldoon, nine to one, but is proving pretty popular. All blue on odds checker and, and one firm go as short as nine to two for MC Muldoon. Scaramanga, 12 to one. Cape Gentleman, 12 to one. Plenty of horses, 14 to one, 16 to one. I mean, this one is, is going to cut up hell of a lot when when final decks are out Andy but at this early stage you know some firms going uh, Skybet going one of one of the firms going five places at the moment we're probably going to see a few more places uh, come come the day yeah it's been a race that's been sort of dominated and taken over by the, the National Hunt uh, fraternity Nicky Henderson Alan King and and the certain um, WP Mullins has, has rather invaded our shores with well handicapped horses uh, to Scoop this pot um, several times 
And you've got to pay attention to what to what Willie's um, uh, doing here. He's booked Adam Kirby for Rayapore, which is very much indicative of the uh, chances he thinks that horse has got. Um, obviously, Adam, you know, fresh off his Derby win, the man in the moment. Let's let's go with a, a, a sort of poster boy at the moment. I'd struggle to be fancying Rayapore as well as I would some of these other horses because he was very disappointing. I thought it um, killed Begging the other day. I mean, he, he couldn't beat a horse called Palm Beach, who the great respect of Palm Beach isn't probably the the uh, the most reliable of characters. MC Meldoon would probably be of more interest. Now, MC Meldoon um, has got some very good form on the flat back in the day when he was trained by Petty Chapelheim. He went to Willie and he, he was laid out for a race at Pontchistan, but unfortunately, um, Paddy Mullen has got an absolute shocking run through on him that day, uh, having finished second of Echoes in rain the time before, which looked good form. I mean, it's have a companion Albara one, but it was it was it was daylight robbery really. Albara nicked it from the front, and I think Paddy was probably kicking the stable cat when he got back because he should have won on MC Meldon. So he's clearly in good form. He stays well, and the better ground will suit him. And just to make up the sort of Irish theme that they in this race that they they might dominate, we've got Emma Mullins with Kane Gentleman, who's a winner of an Irish Cesarewitch, and very much is a liker of fast ground and going right-handed. And um, a little sneaky one as well down the bottom is Arcadian Sunrise with Jamie Spencer booked. Again, another horse has got un sort of tap potential out on the flat uh, and comes here off the back of a good win last time out at Punchestown over hurdles in, in a good time figure, by the way. Those are the kind of horses I'm looking at at the moment. Again, the draw, um, what ends up running, because I think it's only a maximum 20 field. Rory might pick me up on that, but I think they've, they've reduced the number of runner horses that can run in this race now. So one yeah, max 20. Is it 20? Yeah. Yeah, it is 20. So Arcadian Sunrise, for instance, might not get in. He's 26 on the card. So I'll, I'll definitely end up playing at least one or two on the day, but it'll be which ones of those four I've, I've mentioned will, will be depending on what runs and what where, where they're drawn. Yeah, you mentioned Dry Poor with uh, Adam Kirby dropped up. Um, Ryan Moore booked to ride MC Muldoon, which could be why we're seeing that blue on the grids. Um, Saldia, the, the third uh, horse that makes up the William Islands trio at the top of the market, uh, no jockey booking whatsoever yet. So whether that is indicative of whether he runs or not, we will see. Um, but Rory, any of those, um, you know, who, who are you looking at at this early stage here for the Ascot Stakes? Well, you, you very much, much have to get some the Irish challenge, particularly Willie Mullins. Uh, it's not that easy to pick between them, it must be said at this stage. And I'm I'm um, I'm going for an each way selection from the home team who who will be very well suited by the uh, the demands of the race. And I'd be confident of him sneaking into the frame at the least and hopefully he can win it. Uh, and that's just Hubert, um, who's got a, a reasonably obvious chance on on last season's form. Not always the most consistent in the world, just Hubert, but it takes a little bit of it takes a bit of getting to know. Um, he doesn't always go for, for every rider. Uh, I don't think he went a yard for, for uh, PJ McDonald in the, um, in the Cesaro, which, for example, he took the mickey out of, um, out of Holly Doyle uh, in Newbury last year. But Tom Marcon gave him a really good ride from winning the, the, what was the Goodwood Stakes, which I will always call the Goodwood Stakes. Mm. Um, they seem to have done away with the title, uh, which <laughs> is the, uh, the, the two-mile-five handicap um, at Glorious Goodwood. Very few races in, in that kind of um, mould left on the flat. But um, he won that. He won that well. He had to be um, cajoled through the race. He, I don't think he responds particularly well to to hard driving. Doesn't re- doesn't always respond to the whip. He's not necessarily one for the softy softy touch either. He needs a jockey who knows how to just how to just sort of cajole him and get him get him into the bridle. And Tom Markham gave him a superb bridle last year because uh, he he looked like he wanted to um, uh, to spit the dummy out at one or two stages. But Tom managed to keep him sweet 
and Bridgestone with a long run to come and get on top late in the day, uh, having traded um, traded big in the running. He then ran well again at Goodwood over two miles uh, under Tom um, behind a, a bit of a, a handicap lot and improving a three-year-old uh, at the track uh, later in the year. And as I said, you know, they laid him aside for the um, uh, for the Cesarowicz after that, but he needed a jockey change. And PJ McDonald doesn't know him particularly well. And I don't, I, you know, I wouldn't blame the jockey for it. I just think Just Schubert's kind of the kind of horse that um, needs a, a jockey to understand him first. Big plus here is he's got Danny Tunhope on board, who rides Ascot tremendously well. His uh, strike rate at the Royal Meeting is very good. Uh, and he's ridden this horse three times before, two wins. And his latest um, ride was was when he was third on his reappearance, which was a run to set him straight for this. He was pretty weak in the market. Um, he was ridden um, out the back of the field on, on heavy ground, which isn't necessarily ideal for him at Haydock um, in a race won by, um, by Frank and Stella, a competitive um, a handicap that day. And he did really good late work um, to finish third uh, without having the kitchen sink thrown at him. It looked like he would... Um, you wouldn't say he was unfit uh, based on the way he, he saw his race out, um, but you'd have thought he'd just be a little bit sharper for the outing. Uh, Danny Todd keeps the right here. He's number 22, so he needs a couple to come out, but I think that's you'd be disappointed if if, um, if nothing came out of this race between the, uh, now and race day, and he should get in towards the bottom of the weights. He just wants a little bit of luck in running. Um, I think he's the kind of horse who probably can sulk if things don't go his way. Um, but in saying that, he doesn't. When I say things go his way, he just needs to get a clear run through. He do, he, he doesn't want to lead. Uh, he will come from sort of mid div um, to the back of the field, but he stays really well. And I, I think Danny Tuttle will get a good tune out of him. And if that's the case, uh, again, uh, William Muir, since he's he's teamed up with Chris Grassic, has had a had a very good season. Obviously, won the uh, um, the, the Coronation Cup. But his horses have been running better. They were the winner today um, at Sandown with Shot Hipney King. Um, as well, the, the team are in really good form. Those that aren't winning are running well as a rule, um, which is even better if you're looking to back horses each way. And although my gut feeling is that that either Willie Mullins or Emmett Mullins will pull one out of the <laughs> uh, out of the bag here, I think Just Schubert is is a horse who will. Um, he's handicapped to go well. He's one of the one of the few um, horses who will really relish two and a half miles as well. Uh, and I think that gives him a big chance of hitting the frame. Just Hubert, 20 to 1 best price. That is also with Skybet, who have an enhanced place uh, as well. Uh, a fifth of five they are, as it stands at the moment, the one for Rory. Two more two, two more races, probably more than two more horses, I'd have thought, uh, to get through before the end uh, of this preview of day one of Royal Ascot. We've got the Wolferton and then the Copper Horse. Uh, we'll start with the Wolferton West. Um, Patrick Sarsfield is a five to one favourite. Had a solid stone at eleven to two. Sangarius six to one. Felix eight to one. Faisal nine to one. Forrester Dean and Stormy Antarctic and Njord all ten to one. Eleven to one. Blue Cup fourteen to one. Bar Andy, let's rattle through this one. Uh, who do you fancy here? Again, um, depends on the draw and, and what ends up running. But um, I've got a short list of two or three here. Faisal was very impressive. On the clock, anyway, the other day at Windsor. I think the, the race is represented by Arctic Vega, as, as I speak over the weekend. So I'll be looking for him to run well to frank that form. But as far as I missed the break completely at uh, Windsor, he did really well to win. He's a lovely looking horse. He looks a classy type, and Holly Doyle gets on really well with him. Uh, I think nine to one is going to be slightly overpriced for him uh, if he runs. Uh, solid Stone, similarly to Pfizer, won in a fast time at Windsor last time out, and that form has been franked. He beats Stormy Antarctic. Uh, I like the way he, he went through that race. He, um, he's, he was a bit lucky the first time when he drifted 
off a true line at, on, on the straight track here, but I, I think he's probably better off going around a, a few bends. Mile and a quarter shouldn't be a problem for him. The other one I, I, I was quite su- surprised by in many respects. Um, not not surprised by, but surprised by how fast he'd run. Um, and that was Blue Blue Cup, who mm-hmm. won at Epsom last week. Now, he's a bit of an enigma, this horse, because we, we know he's got tons of ability, but he's also got a little bit of a temperament that suggests he could easily lose his race before he even got, got, got down to the start, as he did at York when I napped him that day, because he was unlucky the time before at, at Epsom. I think everyone saw him that day, and I thought, oh, he'll, he'll win at York, and of course, we know what went wrong. But lo and behold, of course, I didn't tip him last time at Epsom, and he went and, tr- and, went and absolutely ha- gagged in. Uh, but interestingly, I, I, I clocked him in from two parts of the track on on, on um uh, I think it was Oaks Day. There's a, there's a path towards at the top of the hill, around about six furlongs out, and obviously the Tatton Corner is a path there. And his two sectionals from those two points on the track were quicker than the pile driver race, the Coronation Cup, and more predominantly, amazingly, the Oaks. Clearly, when everything goes his way, Blue Cup, a very, very good operator. He's also got a run style which strongly suggests that this track will suit him, i.e. he likes to be held about the back, and he likes to come through towards the end, switched off and, and sort of getting getting into a rhythm like like he was at Epsom. And if he does settle and goes down to the post well well enough, I, I do think Blue Cup, he's certainly got the potential to do really well in a race like this. But I think he's probably more one for those that like to play late and look at the demeanour, look at him in the parade ring. You know, you don't have to take 10 to 1. You can back him at 7 or 8 to 1 once he's gone down and he's settled. So again, another race I've got several on my mind depending on where they're drawn and um, how I see it a little bit closer to the time. But if you're, if you're pinning me down to a selection at the prices at the moment, I'd, I'd be leaning towards Blue Cup. Unlike Andy, I wasn't with uh, with Blue Cup at York. I was with him at Epsom the time before. I uh, napped him that day when he ran into all sorts of trouble under under Ryan Moore. Um, and um, then I just thought he was, everyone seemed to catch on to him next time. He was 13-2 to at Epsom and 5-2 to for what looked a stronger race. I take the view that he's actually very well suited by Epsom. Uh, not by not by the way the race was run uh, the first time because it was a, a rather steadily run race uh, in which they all stayed far side of the track. But the, the kind of race where they go um, very hard either from the start or in the middle section of the race where his, his high cruising speed comes in and his tendency to pull is, uh, is nullified. So I think the way that race was run at, at Epsom suited him ideally. I think he's got a lot of toe. Um, but obviously he's he, he's not particularly professional in the early part of the race. I think the way a, um, an Ascot race pans out might not suit him quite so well. I can see, you know, that they're not going to go um, hell for leather here, and I just wonder whether at a more conventional track, which suit, should suit his run style, I just wonder whether he'll, go, he'll sort of revert to type and he'll, um, uh, he'll race too freely. Uh, he, he certainly did better in the hood last time, and the hood might just be the key to him. But I'm I'm a little wary of getting involved again because I think it was kind of a perfect storm last time. But you know, you can see his potential last season, um, and he delivered uh, firmly on that at Epsom. So if you, it's one of those things. If you if you miss the wedding, just be wary of uh, of going to the funeral. I, I'm not sure I'd make Patrick Sarsfield favourite for this. I liked him a lot last season, but you know, he was he, he started last season getting balloted out of handicaps. There was a lot of upside to him. Um, uh, based on um, on his strong maiden form last year and his handicap mark, and uh, obviously he he uh, he made the jump to uh, to Group Three Company, but um, I'm not sure that he deserves to be um, a favourite on balance of form um, here. Although Joseph O'Brien's horse seems to be running pretty well at the moment, um, Solid Stone goes well at the track. I'd certainly respect him. I don't like Sangarius at all. I think he's a massively overrated horse. 
He's always been well talked up. His form reads well enough uh, on paper, but he keeps finding ways of um, of losing races. And um, when he does win, he ends up beating the same horse, doesn't he? Uh, which is which is uh, always always slightly worrying when said horse is, is Bangkok. Um, I think he's, he might have been two or three times um, when he's won races. I just yeah, he might because Sir Michael Stout is so good at at um, getting the best out of these horses down the line he might blossom yet but he's a horse I couldn't back at, the, at, um, at his current odds and I think his runs this season are, are um, a reminder of, of what he is he's a horse who travels very well and he looks good he looks like he should be a bit of a monster but he doesn't see his races out particularly strongly that's a massive worry at, um, at Ascot um, Faisal again I'd be um, I'd respect his chances it's a big step up from a handicap um, but as, as Andy said that was he did that in a good time at a track that probably wouldn't see the best of him. I don't think any of the tracks he's run out. He's a typical John Colston horse, really, in that John has given them all the best experience to flourish on the big stage by running him at tracks, which wouldn't necessarily uh, suit him, but would teach him a lot against lesser horses. And then he gradually, you know, he gets his way to the, to the, uh, the top level, having got confidence beating lesser horses. So he could very well blossom, and I, I'm not against his chances. If I, if I had a bet um, at the current prices, probably I'm edging towards Faisal. Okay. Um, I want to I want to get into him a little bit more, but yeah, there, there's a couple that I'm not particularly keen at the at the head of the market. So and I would respect Faisal out of respect at the prices. Um, I probably would go with Faisal. On then to the final race of day one at Royal Ascot, it is the Copper Horse Stakes. There are some familiar names here, some names that we saw in the Ascot Stakes, and one of them, Saldia, who didn't have a uh, a uh, jockey booking for the Ascot Stakes. Uh, Ryan Moore rides in here, and he is six, seven to one favourite. Global Storm eight to one. MC Mulboon, who Ryan Moore rides in the Ascot Stakes, is setting this one at ten to one. But I think we can probably not expect him to take up this booking. On to victory twelve to one. Raymond Tusk fourteen to one. Rayapur, who's the favourite for the Ascot Stakes, still in here at fourteen to one, but won't we don't think anyway, unless there's a big change of heart, be running. Uh, East Asia sixteen to one. Plenty of others at sixteen to one. Sleeping Lion, Roberto Escobar three. Hall and other ones there too, Andy. So for the lucky last, can you make sense of this one for us? Uh, well, it's a new new race, um, so there's no obvious trends. You know, you're, you're not sort of um, drawn in by a certain uh, trainers or, or the kind of horse that, that, that thrives over this trip here because we just haven't got enough data, have we? So there's a little bit of intuition attached to this, I suppose. I'd be very interested in Alan King's pair, um, predominantly on to victory, has, has run really well at Ascot twice. I thought he ran nicely first time out beyond Hookham in a, in a decent uh, contest. His time figures are pretty good. You know, the book of the Tom Clark on has got to be seen as a positive. He gets a good draw. I'd be mildly interested in him. And I'm not sure he'll get in, but if he did, I think Arthurian Fables another one to go well. I think he's number 29 in the race car. I'm not sure what the maximum field is here from mile six. It might well be 20. It's 16. 16, yeah. And he's, there's obviously going to be lots of different horses running different races, but I thought he showed to right beyond Global Storm, which is, to my mind, is the best small six race so far this season. Uh, that was run at Newmarket a few weeks back. Uh, Global Storm, who probably will get into this race, um, number 21 on the card, won it, but I thought Arthurian Fable on ground, he wouldn't have ideally liked, shaping it really encouragingly. He too ran well here last year in the Royal Meeting behind aforementioned Hookham, and he, and he thrived afterwards. He, he went through from that race, uh, in the, from the King George handicap to, to do better things. And Brian Meehan's having quite a good um, season 
um, so far today. He's got a lovely horse called Mandu, which won at Haydock. Mm. I think it was a couple of days ago. It might have been yesterday. No, it was two days ago. Uh, I think he's a stayer of some potential. One actually surprised me if he ended up in races like the Bahrain Trophy or even further down along the ledger because he looks a real strong stayer at the trip. But the, yeah, this fellow's not, not a bad type. He's a hardy type. Um, and, and Martin Dwyer gets on quite well with him. So I see he's been booked. So that, those have been my two shortlisted ones uh, without going on to... Um, too long about this race because it's it, it's a difficult one to get your teeth stuck into at this stage. Theory and Fable twenty to one with most firms, including Skybet. Uh, any on your shortlist, Rory? Ironically, um, the one that I really want to see get in is Theory and Fable. <laughs> um, so you know, fingers crossed. He's you know he needs um, he needs seven or eight to come out here to get in. I think there's a fair chance of that. Um, there are some there are some of the handicaps here where uh, you you don't see too many coming out. But hopefully this being essentially just a, a run-of-the-mill mile and six handicap, um, I think there's a fair chance that, that some of these will have, um, will have entries elsewhere. And Arthurian Fairbill, I thought um, uh, Andy said it all really. He ran really well at the meeting last year. He continued to progress afterwards. He found this is Arwich too much at uh, that stage of his development on a spinal start. I've got no... Um, I can no qualms. I think it's very hard for a three-year-old in Cesar Witch these days. There was a time years ago where um, a three-year-old sneaking in there would get absolutely tons of weight and, um, you know, with seven stone seven would have a chance of winning. Those days had gone. Um, and I thought um, he just put a line through that and his form reads, reads pretty well otherwise. I don't really think he wants soft grind. He's run, he ran well um, on his return at Newmarket. He was a bit below form and soft at, at Haydock the last time he, he ran on it. I think he'd rather have good grind. He doesn't want it rattling fast. Um, but you know the ground should be absolutely absolutely fine for him here, uh, and I think he's worth back in at twenties because you're you're down sight. He's got a jockey um, book, Martin Dwyer's book to ride him. Um, your worry is that he doesn't make the cut, but you get your money back anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how often horses with obvious claims who look like they're going to miss the cut end up being four, six, eight, ten points too big in the betting just because you know the market doesn't reflect the the fact that you're you're essentially non runner no bet with those horses. So 20 to 1, I think, is too big for Arthurian Fable. It's a kind of race you don't want to commit too much to um, in advance because, you know, you, you want to see the makeup of the field and the draw beforehand. He was the, the first horse to, to catch my eye in the race. And again, you look at the, there are plenty in this who are also in the Ascot Stakes. I think most of those would prefer to go for the Ascot Stakes. It's got a lot more cachet about it. Yeah. Um, so hopefully he'll get into the waist. You've also got to look at really lightly raced horses in, in races like this. You know, Lost Withy is quite interesting as well. Um, having uh, finished uh, second at um, uh, in that race at uh, Newmarket, and he's only had the four stars for for George Bowie, Holly Doyle booked for him. He's number twenty eight though, so you got exactly the same logic um, with him. But again, you're probably getting a few points bigger than if he was number twenty um, on the list. So I, I wouldn't put you off him. Uh, it, this went to a, a, a lightly raced and very progressive um, horse last year in Fujera Prince, and you're always looking for that kind of profile in these races. Um, there aren't too many who, who fit that profile. And of course, most that do are, um, you know, outside of the cut at this stage. It's the, um, as the balance you get with horses who are uh, unexposed, they're, they're lightly weighted and have got, have got a big chance of improvement, but they tend not to get into the weights for these big handicaps. So I think it's always worth having a bet on those who are intended runners, but might miss the cut because you just get a couple of points bigger than you should do. Interesting stuff there. So you can expect as... Rory mentions if, if they are balloted out and they don't run purely for that reason, then you do get your money back. And that could be the case with Arthurian Fable, who's 20 to 1. 
uh, and lost the field for George Bowie, who's having an unbelievable second season as a trainer, uh, who is 16 to 1 best price. Uh, before I let you both go, just going to ask you each for your nap of the day. So your best bet of the day as it stands. Andy, come to you first. I suppose that the price is um, debarb. Again, you're asking me for a nap of the day. I, if I could see a crystal ball and I could see his draw was great. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I could say he's in my nap of the day now. You, you, you can sort of, caveat your nap. I think that's all right. Well, I think it's, yeah, the little asterisks, isn't it? Yeah. Um, if, if he gets a good draw. But at the, at the price is 12 to 1 for Debab. He, he's my idea of the, of the best value based on the numbers and, and, and run style and what I, what I saw of him first time off the shelf. Uh, isn't Andy holding nap in a two-year-old race? Get on is my advice. Or maybe wait for the draw and then get on. Uh, Rory, what's your nap of the day? Despite reservations um, from from Andy, I'm going to go for <laughs> for Winter Power in the in the King Stand. Um, I think she's um, each way. She's, she's well, uh, yeah, each way at this stage. Uh, you know, yeah. at five to one. Um, you're not going to be on the wrong side of that. And as I said, there is a there is a chance that it falls apart a little bit. You end up back in a, uh, a short price favourite at an each way price. Great stuff. Uh, that is the day one overall Ascot preview sponsored by Skybet. We'll be more odds checker betting shows previewing day two, three, four, and five. They'll be out next week. So do subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please also subscribe to the podcast on any podcast provider. You'll find that all there. Plenty of other preview content as well. We recorded our Euros preview, which is also sponsored by Skybet last week. So loads there to get on. Hopefully some value in the pod today. Please do download the Odds Checker app for the best prices. Bookie offers free bets and the very best tipsters, including Andy Holding himself. will be writing a column as he does with every day, but make sure you do read his Ascot tips as well. Plenty of great insight in there beyond just the tips themselves. And of course, there is that Skybet offer in the first race of the day. Money back as cash of the win part uh, of any each way bet or just any win bets too. Um, restrictions do apply, which you can find in the T's and C's and do visit begambleaware.org as well. And that is the key here. Hopefully some winning bets. Hopefully you enjoy the racing, but please, please do gamble responsibly and have a great first day of Royal Ascot. 